Hey there, friends. Welcome to How to Study the Bible. This is Drew Daniels, and I'm filling in for Nicole Eunice while she's away. And this is our final week of a four-part series called Questions Jesus Asked. During Jesus's earthly ministry, one of the powerful and sometimes mysterious ways that he taught was through asking questions. And these questions would lead his disciples or whoever's audience might be at the time to a pathway of discovery. And our premise with this series is that these same questions that were important and probing and led to discovery back in ancient times when Jesus walked the earth are also relevant and applicable to our lives now. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 8 verses 14 through 21 from the New Living Translation. And then we're going to look through the text, consider some context and backstory around it, and see if we can uncover some of the meaning, not only in the text, but also for our lives today. So here we go. Let's read from Mark chapter 8, verse 14 through 21, and I'm in the New Living Translation. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000, five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000, seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. Don't you understand yet? When asking a question like, don't you understand yet? What might Jesus be getting at? Well, let's look at the text and break it down a little bit. So Jesus is with his 12 disciples. They're on a boat. They only have one loaf of bread with them, which would have been a problem, especially if you're 13 guys on a boat and you're getting hungry. (laughs) The ministry that Jesus was doing was done by foot. There were no Uber drivers or taxi cabs. These guys were walking around. So to lack food, to lack provision and sustenance, that was a big deal. So it's understandable that the disciples are distracted by not having food. But what's interesting is this isn't the first time that the disciples have had a bread problem. (laughs) This is not the first time that they've had a shortage of food when they've been with Jesus. In fact, Jesus references two occasions in which the disciples saw him do a miracle of radical provision for thousands of people when they didn't have enough bread. Jesus says it here. He says, don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000, five loaves of bread, how many leftovers did you pick up afterward? How many leftovers did you pick up afterward? What was Jesus referencing here? Well, a couple chapters earlier, 
Jesus and the disciples are with a group of, it says 5,000. Those were probably counting men's uh, heads. <laughs> it was a male head count, male dominant society. It could have been thousands more with women and children included. They were in a pre- predominantly Jewish area. And that's going to be important in just a little bit. And Jesus and the disciples realize that they only have five loaves of bread on them. But Jesus still has the disciples feed all of the people. And what happens? They all get fed. In fact, they all get fed and there's leftovers. And the disciples go to pick up the leftovers. They fill how many baskets full? Twelve, they said. Twelve baskets full. And the other miracle, 4,000. Again, this was probably more than even 4,000. It was a lot, a lot of people. And in this moment, they only had seven loaves of bread. You can't feed 4,000. You can't feed thousands of people with seven loaves of bread. And yet Jesus again performed a stunning miracle. And they were able to feed everybody. And they even picked up seven baskets worth of leftovers. Now, this this second miracle, the 4,000, the feeding of the 4,000, as, as it's called and as Jesus refers to it here, it would have happened in a predominantly Gentile area. So a bunch of things are going on here when Jesus asked them about this feeding. First of all, it's lots of people. And they had very little bread, but Jesus was able to provide. Surely if Jesus could provide for thousands of people in these other two miracles, by this point of doing ministry together, the disciples would have understood, yeah, we only have one loaf of bread here, but there's 13 of us. I mean, Jesus surely can provide if he provided for thousands, but they don't seem to get it. They're still concerned about what seems to be their present momentary crisis. But even more than that, Jesus is getting at something really profound when he references these groups of feedings. If we go back and read those passages and consider where they happened, like I said, the 5,000 was in a predominantly Jewish area. The 4,000 was in a predominantly Gentile area. Jesus seems to draw no distinctions on who he provided for. In other words, Jesus invited everybody to the table. The Jews were the religious people that Jesus was uh, part of their tribe and he was serving the Jews. But the Gentiles, the outsiders, the people who were non-Jewish, he was willing to break bread with them as well. And he invited the disciples into both of these activities. What were the disciples' roles in these two feedings? They were the ones that passed out the bread and clearly they were the ones that picked up the leftovers. Jesus is reminding them, hey, not only did I provide for everybody, but we got to do it together. Don't you get it? We're in this thing together. In other words, we are on mission together and I have provided for you all along the way in miraculous ways. Why are you talking about bread right now? We'll take care of the bread. But Jesus seems to have something else on his mind. See, while the disciples are concerned about their bread crisis, Jesus is telling them to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Herodians. These two groups of people, in our text it says the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And 
most study Bibles, you'll see in the footnotes that this term for Herod could also be translated into Herodians. In other words, these were a group of people that had a political agenda. They wanted a descendant of Herod to be leading the Jewish people. And the Pharisees, they had a political agenda. They wanted a descendant of King David to be leading the Jewish people. And Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Herodians. The disciples would have known how yeast worked. It was a good illustration because the disciples knew that it only took a little bit of yeast to work into the dough to cause it to rise. And once it worked in, that yeast was impossible to get out. The disciples understood how yeast worked because when they celebrated Passover, they didn't include it when they made bread. So Jesus references something that they would know well, and he's using it as a metaphor, but they don't get it. They take it literally and they're thinking about, oh my goodness, we only have one loaf of bread here. So not only, not only are they missing the fact that Jesus has already provided and he could provide for them again, but they seem to be missing the broader point that Jesus is making, which is, Hey, there's all sorts of political strife out there. There's all sorts of turf wars and turf battles happening within the Jewish people. Don't let that distract you. I believe Yogi Berra is attributed with the quote, the main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing. <laughs> the main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing. And that's almost what I think Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. Hey, don't let these little turf wars distract you. Don't let division in the church distract you. I wonder if there's something in here for us as well as just a side note. If you're outside the church and what's always kept you away is that you see all the fighting, the back and forth, maybe what you view as hypocritical behavior. I think you would find yourself in good company with Jesus and he would say, yeah, I don't like that stuff either. And if you're on the inside, if you're already in, if you if you're like those who were fed in the group of 5000, if you're part of the Jewish tribe, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, Jesus, I think, would say, don't be distracted by these turf wars because we have a bigger mission, a bigger thing at stake. And what might that be? Let's loop back again, shall we, to the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. What was Jesus doing there? Why does he emphasize the number of baskets that the disciples picked up afterwards? And what were those numbers? He asked them, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up after we fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread? And the disciples said 12. Now that is a big number. 12 big baskets full when you started with just five loaves of bread. Even the five loaves you started with wouldn't fit or would be too little for 12 baskets full. So it clearly multiplied. But even more than that, 12 is an important biblical number. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments are given to the people. And they're written on two tablets, 10 and 2. It's 12. 
Okay. So maybe that's a coincidence that the law, the, the rule, the way that God wanted to rule his people and keep them, uh, drawn to one another, the law that he gave them. Maybe, maybe that's too much of a coincidence, but how about the fact that 12 shows up all through the Bible? Maybe you can think of some ways that 12 shows up. I mean, there's 12 disciples and And beyond that, what about in Genesis when there's 12 sons of Jacob who form 12 tribes of Israel who end up becoming the nation of Israel? In Mark, he associates this number 12 with Jesus's healing power. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the healing of the woman who had been bleeding for how many years? 12 years. And then there's the girl Right after he heals the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, he heals a girl. And how old is she? She's 12 years old. What's up with Mark and the number 12? <laughs> the, tw- the number 12 in scripture we see symbolizes this rule and reign of God. The way that he wanted the nation of Israel to always be a blessing for other people. And what I think Jesus might be getting at here is that you guys are part of this thing. We are supposed to usher in a whole new kingdom, a new rule and reign of God, 12 baskets full. And we're going to do it through God's provision, not by our own means, but I want you to participate with me, but you can't do it if you're caught up in other political turf wars between the Pharisees and the Herodians. You can't do it if you're worried about whether or not I can provide for you right here, right now. I had a buddy who told me the other day that he spends a lot of time in government housing projects. And I asked him uh, if it made him nervous when he was around uh, gang related activity. Um, And he was telling me that he actually believes that Jesus is with him and will protect him. And if he doesn't, he actually believes that he will be with Jesus. And here's why that's a big deal to me is that I had to then ask myself, do I actually believe that God's spirit is living and active around me the way scripture tells me it is? Do I actually believe that God will work in my life in a real and tangible way, the way my friend believes that God is protecting him wherever he goes? I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, don't you understand? I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to provide for as many people as we can invite into this thing. But you're the invitation committee and, and I'll provide for the Jews. I'll provide for the Gentiles. I want to do something that brings in the complete rule and reign of God, the way that the kingdom was always supposed to look a multi-ethnic community, a diverse community where everybody is invited to the table. And I want you to help me do it disciples, (laughs) but I can't have you getting distracted by other matters. And then Jesus says, what about the 4,000? How many leftovers did you pick up then? And they say seven baskets full. Seven. Does that number ring a bell? I mean, certainly, certainly the number seven. Wow. Well, let's see. There's seven days in a week. There were seven days of creation. And what happened on the seventh day? Well, there was Sabbath. Mark associates the number seven with Jesus's healing power. Again, 
he emphasizes the healing power of Jesus with the number seven. In the first chapter of this book, Mark references two miracles that Jesus does on the Sabbath, on the seventh day of the week. Jesus asks, don't you understand? I'm doing something new. Might Jesus be suggesting that he is recreating the order of things where not only are Jewish people in, but the Gentiles are in as well. The non-believers are in as well. The outsiders are in as well. In fact, if, if this passage signifies that the complete rule and reign of God, that number 12 with the first miracle of feeding 5,000, along with a recreation theme in the feeding of the 4,000, if, if that theory is correct, then might Jesus be saying to the disciples, we have a mission to redeem and recreate the whole world. And this is what God always intended. This is what God always intended. I came to help fulfill the law. I came to help recreate things. I came to inaugurate his kingdom. It's always been his. He's always been working towards this goal. And you disciples, you, you get to participate with me. Jesus, when he asked the question, do you not yet understand? I wonder if we could just turn that question and feel Jesus ask it to us right now. Do you not yet understand? Are there little things that are keeping us from loving other people? Are there little things that are keeping us from experiencing God's provision in our life? Are we too caught up with only having one loaf of bread that we can't see that God will not only provide for that loaf of bread, but he's also provided enough for us to then take that to the world and share it with others. I wonder if hidden underneath all of this is that all of us have a desire for impact and intimacy in the world. We want to make an impact. We want to live with purpose and we want to live connected to others. And God says, I am here to provide that for you. When you serve me by caring for the nations, I will provide for your needs. So what might it look like for us to take this passage, to take the fullness of what Jesus and the disciples are talking about here, to take Jesus's question and to turn it and point it directly at our own hearts and say, do we understand? I think it might start with each of us doing some inner work. I need to pause and I need to consider what are areas where I have anxiety and I'm concerned whether or not my needs are going to be met? Where are the areas where I might be distracted from what's most important? I might be letting the little things get in the way of what's most important. Maybe you can ask yourself the same question. Or here's, here's another way to think of it. If Jesus did all of this through breaking bread, through serving others, through inviting people essentially to his table, 
If Jesus wants everybody in, so to speak, the non-believing Gentiles and the Jewish insiders, if he wants all of them at his table, then maybe every time we eat a meal this week, we can let that be a reminder for us to thank God for all the different types of people who he wants to invite to his banquet table. Maybe we can let it open our hearts to the multitude of people that God loves. Maybe we can take a moment to consider how we could better work with the movement and the mission of God to love and serve and care for others. But it's really important that we remember that whenever we do this, Jesus wants us to know that God is the provider. He does not send us out to do a mission on our own strength. He will always multiply the bread. He will always multiply the provision. He will always abundantly care for us. Oh man, I feel like we're just getting started (laughs) with this passage. But let's end there this week. It's been good to be together. Thanks for taking this journey with me. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of lifeaudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Gibbons and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.